Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable Podcast, the only show that dares to be both on-topic and location. In other words, on-premise as well as on-premises. Each time we meet, we bring together IT luminaries to discuss a single concept. In this discussion, we're going to be talking about the idea of technical debt. And my premise is that technical debt really isn't all that bad. So let's try to take a stab at that. Before we start, let's meet the panel today. Hi, I'm James Green. I'm a partner at Actual Tech Media, and you can find me on Twitter at JD Green. Hi there, I'm Matt Crape. I'm an IT manager by day. You can find me on Twitter at Matt, that IT guy. Hi, my name's Ian Sanderson. I work for a virtualization specialist called Sits Group in the UK, and you can find me on Twitter at Ian0x0r. Hi, I'm Dr. Rachel Trailer. I'm a mathematician and founder of The Math Citadel. You can find me on Twitter at MathPocalypse. So before we get started, let's uh, set the groundwork here. What is technical debt? Do you want to jump in there, Matt? Sure. So in my mind, technical debt is more or less when you're putting off, whether it be upgrades, uh, hardware, software, all that sort of stuff to defer costs longer term. Uh, the more you put it off, the more debt that you have. And that could be even legacy applications. Um, databases you haven't upgraded in years, and all of a sudden you can't upgrade to the newest version because there's too many jumps in between. Okay. So it means basically putting off um, spending in terms of upgrading. and uh, But it's not just spending money. It's spending work. It's spending the effort to have systems be modernized in um, for, for whatever reason, and then finding yourself in, quote, debt later to, uh, to have to upgrade more. Right, James? Yeah, and I want to add that while we're defining it, besides just ongoing operations stuff, uh, creating debt, you can also create technical debt for yourself while you're building something or deploying it by taking shortcuts or, you know, uh, especially in development, like there's an easy way to do things and then a a good way to do things that sometimes takes longer and costs more money, but um, this, the same idea applies. Like, if you get it done now quickly, you may wind up paying for that later because you didn't do the hard work up front. Now, nobody doubts that this is debt, but is this bad? Is all debt bad? Because sometimes, you know, you want to hold off on um, on upgrading and and moving forward, right, Rach? So, for me, from the consumer, I guess, perspective, since I'm the only academic on this panel. Um, some software, for instance, takes a while to catch up. So why would I upgrade my, say, Mac OS when something I need desperately for my own research, like Mathematica, takes probably a month or two to be able to catch up to all of the changes in OS? I mean, I can't, now I'm basically stuck for a month that all of my Mathematica code now is not going to run because I need to wait for the latest version of it. So I always hold off, not forever, you know, I, I get the premise that you don't want to hold off and make too many jumps um, or wait too long until there's literally no way to upgrade, but rushing to get in line for the next iPhone or upgrading to iOS 11, I'm clearly a Mac person. You know, right when it comes out, there's too... Nobody releases anything without tons of bugs. Everybody's got to just say, well, we release something once a year, and nobody tries to make it finished anymore. So I want to wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I agree. Is, is that what you had in mind when you talked about technical debt? It is, and I agree to a point. Um, I think for me, it's identifying what the tipping point is to when something may become 
technical debt. So, as I mentioned, I work for a virtualization firm, um, primarily deal with VMware. So the way I look at it is, is this product going to be out of general support on this date? Am I then, at that point, by not upgrading, building this technical debt because there's no support anymore? So we're not talking about Windows 8 here. We're talking about Windows XP. Well, Windows ME. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, there's... I don't think anybody's going to argue with you that waiting a little bit is... Tons of IT organizations are one two versions behind, and for good reason, but it's when you get really far behind that things start to become How would you, What would you consider to be too far behind? Like, so it's an optimization problem, right? Well, what do you, how do you optimize that? It's, so like if we stick with vSphere as the example, like a lot of organizations are running 6.5 or 6.0. I just worked with an organization that just upgraded to 6.0, and that's probably like in the realm of okay, but when you're 4.0, now yeah. it's like... Things don't work right. But it's still like, you know, you jump back to say 4.0, is it possible to actually rigidly define or find a way to optimize when technical debt becomes a problem, right? Everyone seems to have a different opinion of how big a gap is too big. Yeah, so Ian mentioned um, support, for example. Is that a good metric? I, I know for me, um, during my daytime job as an IT manager, if I'm running something that's not in support, that's a huge debt. That's a, it comes down to risk management. If something there breaks, I have no official support that I could call to get help on. So going back to what we were saying earlier, as far as you know, when do you make the jump to the newest one, a lot of organizations uh, usually adopt, you know what, we'll run one release behind. So you know, using Windows 10 as an example, when that comes out, okay, we'll look at upgrading from 7 to 8. So you have that buffer zone of bugs will be worked out, but you're still on a supported operating system. That's true. I mean, I guess that could be the, the other end of the spectrum. Are you somehow introducing technical debt by being on the, the bleeding edge of technology? You're, you are potentially um, painting yourself into a corner with the bugs that haven't been found yet. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, te technical debt's going to happen regardless of how soon you do upgrades and stuff. Technology is just constantly changing. I, I think the big thing that organizations and even individuals have to figure out is what works for them uh, you know, at an organizational level. How, much, uh, how many people do you have who are able to work on the problem? How long does it take you to stage an upgrade? You have to make sure that you can fit that into the schedule and going back to support, make sure that you can fit that in, get all the QA done, all that sort of stuff before it falls out of support. So there's a lot of planning that you need to do. Well, I think that when it comes to IT, there's no question that unsupported solutions are bad, unequivocally bad, right? And so certainly when you get to the point where you're running something that the vendor doesn't support and what they, they won't support you on, well, that's just, that's too far. But, you know, as pointed out, um, many companies make a conscious decision to stay back. And many people do as well. I mean, you know, I wish that I hadn't installed iOS 11 on my phone because it's terrible. You know, by the time somebody listens to this podcast, they'll have worked those problems out, and I should have waited that long to do it. Doesn't that go back to a problem of, I mean, 
shouldn't you release something when it's done instead of trying to just set a date just to say we have a release every year? I mean, no, no, no. no, no, no. You have to release it the first week in September. Absolutely. Right, but that's what's causing all these problems. Doesn't matter if it's video games, iOS, you know, another yeah. piece of software. That's what's causing the whole problem of technical debt and people to hesitate anyway because nobody wants to release a finished product anymore. Yeah, and truly that's why, for example, Intel stopped doing IDF because they stopped wanting to walk to the drum of the calendar and started wanting to walk to the beat of their own product development cycles. I shut you people down, didn't I? Well, I was just thinking how that's almost turning into a whole DevOps conversation, right? Mm -hmm. So if you introduce stuff like DevOps where you're just constantly rolling out new revisions and fixes as are ready, how does that affect technical mm -hmm. debt? Well, everybody knows who's listened to this podcast knows that DevOps is a dumpster fire. So um, <laughs> another, another on-premise episode there for you. Uh, but, but true, um, you know, if you're uh, continually releasing, you know, developing and releasing, uh, does, that, does that change this question? Does that impact this question? James? Um, I don't know. I think it's, when I think about technical debt, it's less of an issue for me of are we staying current than it is are we thinking big picture enough and are we planning uh, far enough out? Are we, when we start to build or modify something, have we begun with the end in mind? Because what creates technical debt is when I start building something uh, kind of small and narrow to address a problem that I have right now without thinking about um, three years from now, what are my needs gonna be? How is what I'm building right now gonna grow into that? and um, you create a lot of debt when three years down the road you have to go back and not only build something that meets your new needs but figure out how to I don't know get the data out of the old thing into the new thing or yeah in the I case ran of into that when I worked at Lockheed my first job out of college was a DBA and we worked on a it was a nomad database I don't know if anyone here is even old enough to know what that is it was completely unsupported I had a manual that was two inches thick as the only thing I could do to keep this stupid thing running when it it was so old that when you loaded the new data onto the database it wiped everything and loaded everything again there was no append feature for just as an example so the the other side of the technical debt is very bad was my I upgraded to a SAS mainframe that was the upgrade, and we were so far behind. When it crashed, it took me, uh, the database did crash. I'm 22 years old. I have a math degree, by the way. And getting that, I couldn't get it back up and running. All I had to do was basically listen to a whole bunch of production managers yelling at me while I tried to port everything over that I could. So that's kind of, you know, I, I argued that the technical debt is good, but then... You can run into the Sometimes complete. Sometimes it can bite you. And, and it creates a huge problem. Well, because I'd fought it since I started there. As this is ridiculous. There's one manual, and the, like, my, my father doesn't even know what this language is. <laughs> you know, you have to upgrade. And it was all just, um, well, how much is it going to cost? You know, it's like trying to argue the point of it's not just dollar signs. There's other costs, too. I've been trying to convince my wife that we should stop doing oil changes on our cars and just never do it again. Exactly. But I can't get her on board. Yeah, no, but on, on that note, actually, uh, one of the things that you guys just brought up, and that's interesting too, is that technical debt just isn't just about outdated, um, outdated products. It's also about making the wrong choice. 
So if you go down the wrong path, even if it's a brand new, supported, you know, correct system, you have incurred the same kind of technical debt. If you bet heavily on Windows Phone instead of Android or iOS, um, that investment is going to be wasted, and you're going to have to basically catch up in order to, to you know, cash in that debt and cover that debt. You know, that's an, another aspect of it. Well, yeah, I mean, if you take a look at the great um, storage race uh, for... All storage is great. I'll just throw that in there. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. The great storage race, which seems to be finishing about now with uh, the likes of Nimble being bought by HP, or some have already fallen to the wayside. Um, if you invested in what is now the wrong technology, um, yeah, you're up, up a creek without a paddle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is hard to judge um, what you should invest in. I mean, all these shiny storage arrays came out uh, four, five, six years ago. They all look great. They all had their advantages. They all look like the best fit for your problem. But um, without mentioning names, some of those uh, on dire straits at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we've heard about that about. recently where, um, like, like a reseller who recommended a product from a company that now went bust is feeling a lot of remorse over that. And there again, it's not an outdated product. And it wasn't even a bad match for the, a bad solution for the, for the customer. It's just with the product no longer produced, suddenly this, you know, the, 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 the man comes knocking on the door and the debt comes due. I would argue that there's a case where that wasn't a failure, which is in the case of the, the one that you're talking about, maybe at the point in time where the customer selected that solution nothing else could solve their problem. And if it got them through the two years until now everybody else can do it too, I wouldn't necessarily consider that a, a failure. At this point, they can buy you know, some commodity solution that does it and move their stuff over. And it's but they okay. kind of have to because you know, there's nobody to support it around. It's anymore. unfortunate that yeah. they don't have an option at this point. They've yeah. been forced into selecting yeah. something new. But. And, and sort of add on to that uh, point, I mean, really any sort of IT project should have goals, milestones. So let's use storage as an example. If I buy a storage array, I plan to having that replaced probably within four years, if not sooner. That's part of the plan. So if three years in, all of a sudden the vendor goes bust, at least I know I have a plan that, you know what, we're planning on it. Funds are being allocated in that fourth year. I could use that potentially to say, hey, we need to move that up a little bit. If you're planning for it, it makes sort of solving that type of technical debt a little bit easier. So getting back to the premise, though, that maybe some technical debt's not such a bad thing, um, I want to ask, I put to you the, the core concept. Okay, so, so regardless of whether it's due to, you know, sort of na- you know, natural progression of the years or um, supportability or, you know, a bad choice for the environment, uh, you know, for the company, um, you could make a sound argument that there's a financial decision, there's a financial benefit for putting off purchases as much as possible. So in all these cases, basically, you're, 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 you're wasting or you're, you're taking time and expense and not spending that money. So let's say you, um, you know, think about a car, right? You can buy a new car you, uh, every two years. You could buy a new car every four years. You could just let it uh, get paid off and run it into the ground. There's a financial benefit, a real financial benefit 
toward driving whatever you happen to have and running it into the ground instead of getting something new. Does that translate into the data center? I don't know if I would agree. I mean, was, wasn't there a case, maybe a year or so ago, I think there was a, an airport in France when they're running all their systems on NT4, something like that, maybe all the, and the whole place ground to a halt. Where, where was, going back to support, yeah, you've, you've run it into the ground, but again... But, so they're going to have to spend some time and money to fix that. But yeah. how much time and money did they save by not fixing that? Yeah, so I'm taking the devil's advocate position <coughs> here. So they've just cost themselves a reputation, though, haven't they? Yeah, but it's uh, 15 years of uh, time and expense that they didn't have to spend. I think the argument solved if you try to take a more formal approach to actually defining. It's an, it's, again, it's an optimization problem that can be formally defined. If you lay out what the costs are, then you can create... Is pardon my bias here, but you can actually create a mathematical model to optimize for your particular situation. Is it the money that costs you the most? Is it the time to upgrade? Is it the time to deal with the failure because it's a lack of support? You know, you can actually come up with an objective answer for your own situation if you look at perhaps defining a formal model, optimization model to look at it. I mean, you probably do it with your car too. Like for instance, my I have the same thing. If I ever have a fix on my car that is more expensive than the car is worth, it's time to buy a new car. That buys me time to get a new car because it's still technically running. But I've also put off the holy crap and it's going to cost mm-hmm. me tens of thousands of dollars. But that's my optimization model, right? And, and, but that's how I've done it. I mean, I actually have a formula that tells me when, when to do it. Of course you Shocking. do. Yeah. <laughs> so you can sell this formula to companies and define exactly when technical debt is about creep up on them it it would yeah it would require you know basically consulting with them to to you have to define it right just like yeah. we tried to do now define technical debt it's not just because technical debt it's upgrading to the wrong thing it's upgrading too fast it's taking too long to upgrade it's the financial cost it's the time cost and support so mm-hmm. once you have all of those things and study how they interact then yes you could come up with a, a formal optimization model for it it's it's mm-hmm. It's done in, in maintenance for engineering all the time. Absolutely. And can you guys get on board with this, that there is a trade-off here? There's, there's costs to upgrade, and there's savings for incurring this technical debt, and there's a time when you're going to need to, yeah. I think it comes down to responsibility. Uh, I'm comparing in my mind technical debt to like consumer credit. Is it good or bad? Not really. But how you manage it, it could be good or it could be pretty bad. So um, I, I believe there's a valid case for intentionally accruing technical debt, but you better pay it off before you wind up paying so much in interest that it really hurts. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I would sort of go back to one of my opening statements in that a lot of it's risk management. Um, you know, it's a matter of, okay, I could run this, I could save X number of dollars, but what's that outage going to cost me? And it ties into what you were saying about figuring out that optimization formula. Um, obviously, there's going to be unknowns, variances, and all that sort of stuff. But uh, to sort of wrap up my thoughts on it, I guess I would say it depends. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's the uh, consultant answer in you, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening to the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion, remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show in iTunes, since that really helps our visibility. And to share the show with your friends. This podcast was brought to you by GestaltIT.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to GestaltIT.com slash podcast. 
Thanks, and we'll see you next time. The On-Premise IT Roundtable is once again brought to you by Gestalt IT, home to IT coverage from across the enterprise. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Gestalt IT and at Facebook.com slash Gestalt IT. Very original. The On-Premise IT Roundtable is produced by Rich Straffolino. That's me. Until next time, from all of us here at Gestalt IT, have a super sparkly day.